All right, we are on. Good morning. Katie's here, so that means uh, anyone who is getting kids to classes has had their chance, so we can get started. Um, All right, so for the past teaching quarter, uh, I've been helping Katie teach the toddler class. I say teach, uh, but for any of you who have taught the toddler class, you know it's more just kind of facilitating playtime and singing songs while you're reading a Bible story. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't bring enough puzzles to get us started while people filter in for the next 10 minutes, so we're just going to jump right in. And if we wrap up on time, you can all have dry Cheerios and play with trains. Um, All right, so this summer, Brad and I are kind of tag-teaming this class on the Psalms. Uh, Since it's the only class this quarter, we've decided to break it up uh, so it's not too monotonous. We didn't just want to go front to back all the way through the Psalms, so we kind of split it up into four different mini-series. So I'll start with the first three, uh, starting today through the three weeks, and then Brad will take three. I'll do three more, and he'll close out with two. Uh, I tell you that just because I know you'll want to plan your summer vacations around your favorite instructor. (laughs) I know I have. Uh, But I'm really excited about Brad's classes and that he's going to help teach this. Uh, He has a lot more of a a Bible background than I do and history of the Bible as well, so he's going to be able to pull in uh, you know, how the, Bible, how the Psalms are used throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, kind of with the Hebrews and, and with Jesus and with Paul. Uh, for me, I'm going to confine myself more to, the, to stay within the Psalms and some minor Psalm commentary just to keep myself out of trouble because I don't know that much about the Psalms. Uh, like I mentioned, we won't be reading all the Psalms in this class. I want to dig deep into just a few. Uh, so that we avoid kind of a cursory view of all. So I just want to kind of learn how to read the Psalms together, uh, how to read the Psalms on our own, and then just kind of let you guys do that for the summer. Um, And the ones that we read in class are by no means the most important ones. Uh, I generally am choosing ones for a particular purpose, and I'll, I'll make that clear as we read them. Um, But since we won't be reading through all the psalms together in this room, and since you all have summer vacation with a lot of travel, we wanted to make sure we provided a way to read the psalms together. Uh, So we have a kind of a reading plan. It's really basic. Uh, There's 150 psalms, and we have 70 days from now until the last class. Uh, So that's kind of like two psalms a day, two or three. So that's something you guys can do on your own. We're not going to skip around. We're just going to go front to back. Uh, So you're welcome to join along. Uh, The classes won't be... Uh, necessarily centered around the readings. This week, the ones I'm going to read from today uh, will be in this week's reading. Uh, so you, you can dig deeper into those on your own. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted to do that, you know, no more than two or three per day, is the Psalms kind of need a little bit of rumination, a little bit of thinking. Uh, and oftentimes a commentary is really helpful because the Psalms are poetry, right? And the words aren't just the words, they're trying to convey an emotion. They're not just trying to teach you a history lesson. Um, All right. Let's see what else. All right, so that's the syllabus for the class. We got that out of the way. Now we can move on. All right, so uh, why study the Psalms? Um, What's more, how did we get to the point where me and Brad are teaching? Oh, there he is. Hi, Brad. (laughs) Um, So how do we get to the point where Brad and I are teaching a class on the Psalms? Uh, Me, a noted non-biblical theologian, 
and Brad, a decidedly conventional Church of Christ minister. Um, Also, neither of us have been really known for our ability to emote. Um, Some, in particular our wives, have actually said we lack empathy or are insensitive at times in our 10 plus years. Um, So, we've decided to teach on the Psalms, which is essentially a book on emotion, and you might ask why we're doing it and not like one of the wheats or something. Uh, I only say that because Brad, Daniel, and I have had way too many conversations about personality types, and Brad and my um, lack of emotion and Daniel's abundance of emotion. Um, But either way, uh, so we're not that well fitted to teach on the subject. Also, I've always had a really hard time reading the Psalms and making sense of poetry in general, but I've always wanted to learn more about the Psalms. And that's really the impetus for the class is I wanted to learn something, and you guys probably know more about the Psalms than I do, so you might get to teach me something. Please do. Um, Now, I don't understand poetry, but I love it. Um, I love music. And I have a constant soundtrack going in our house. Uh, If I'm in the house, I turn on some music just to kind of have that soundtrack in the background and set the tone. Um, And not only reading the Psalms, but reading poetry in general has been pretty painful for me. It's more like just looking at words. I'm not actually reading anything. I'm just kind of looking at the words and then moving on to the next thing. And every time I've tried to read the Psalms, it's usually front to back, uh, read as much as I can in a day, 10 Psalms, whatever, uh, and then I stop. Um, And I realized I didn't get anything out of that. I just saw all the words, and that was about it. So I wanted to use this class to kind of disrupt that pattern. Um, Now, as an example, let's use Shakespeare. Um, Another great example where we've all probably been required to read Shakespeare at some point, uh, but until you've played it out or seen a play of it, it, it just seems like words, and a lot of nonsense words at that. He, he gets to make up a lot of words. Uh, Katie and I got to see, this is us, seven years ago, uh, we went to England, and that was the first time I saw a Shakespeare play, it was in Stratford-upon-Avon, which is the birthplace of Shakespeare, in this tiny little theater. Uh, look at those kids. Um, but but it, was, it was totally different. It was, it was a modern-day take on Shakespeare. Um, the words were exactly the same. They didn't change the script of A Midsummer's Night Dream at all. But you got to, to hear the emotion. Uh, you got to see the response of the other actors. And you got to understand the context of the story in a whole new light. Um, now, I'm not going to be acting out the Psalms, and neither is Brad. But it's just recognizing that there's a poetry is meant to be um, read differently uh, than just front to back. And you always have to consider the the reader or the speaker and the receiver. And that's a lot of what you see in a, in a play is, is what's being received. So we'll look at a few psalms today that have a receiver, and we can kind of think about their pers- uh, perspective. Also from that trip, we tried rowing, and Katie kept rowing us into the bank repeatedly. <laughs> I didn't show the picture of me. We, we had to go under a bridge when it was my turn, and it was one of those bridges that has the the extra support in the middle, and you can go left or right, and I went right into the pillar. 
All right, so um, I wasn't ready for that. Sorry. A while back, I saw this book at Barnes & Noble. It's the Book of Psalms. By, uh, it's a translation and commentary by Robert Alter. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it was just because I liked the design of it, and it's one of those books where they got like the jagged paper edges, so it's like extra classy. I was like, I, I think that'll help me read the Psalms. Um, but when I first saw the book, it was at Barnes & Noble, and I didn't buy the book because I find books at Barnes & Noble that I want to read, and then I go to Amazon and buy them for half the price. But that was 11 years ago. I didn't buy the book, and I never did until about two months ago after I signed up to teach this class. So, confession, I still haven't read the Psalms in their entirety, and now I'm teaching a class on them. Um, so, we're, we're just kind of, I'm going to take you along my journey. Uh, so, that's a little bit about my ability uh, to follow through on personal goals. Another thing about me is that I have this bad habit of committing to something, hoping that by having committed to it to someone else, I'll follow through with it. And that's why I'm here now, because John Mann was trying to line up more teachers for classes, and he asked if I would teach a Wednesday night class. Um, I'm generally not here on Wednesday nights. I travel for work sometimes. Um, But instead of just saying no, I said, no, but I'll teach a class on Sunday about Psalms. And uh, thinking that that would help me learn the Psalms. I also figured it was summertime, and I don't pay attention to the class schedules except when I'm teaching, and I didn't realize there's only one class in the summertime. So I thought we'd be down in room 10, and that very few people in the Church of Christ would be that interested in the Psalms, and it would be me and Katie and Brad and a few other people, mainly our friends, down in room 10. And then John said, no, it's the only class. And you're in the auditorium. Um, So that's how we came here. And then Brad, uh, John had already lined up Brad to co-teach. I didn't even ask Brad he wanted, what he wanted to teach on because I wanted to teach the Psalms. So I said, hey, Brad, we're teaching the Psalms. And his response was probably a lot like yours when you saw the slide or the paper out front was, why? We're not Anglican. And I think that was his way of saying I'm scared. <laughs> um, okay, so enough of that. So what do we want to do with this class? We're here for, what is that, three, 11 weeks. Um, we want to make the Psalms more real. You see the, you see the uh, title, Brad picked that out. I really like that one. Uh, this is about tuning our hearts. Um, you know, mine can do with that. And so it's about me getting a chance to tune my heart to praise God, uh, to get a chance for each of you two as well, and for us collectively um, the Psalms is, is not just a bunch of individual um, pieces of poetry, but a lot of communal ones as well that are intended to be sung or uh, sang uh, as a group or read. Um, and, you know, as we'll see, some of the, the whole perspective of the psalmists was that that's the purpose of life, that we are here to praise God. We're not here to live a life and then wait for eternity to praise God. This is our chance to do it, uh, which I think is kind of a a wake-up call to some extent, Um, thinking we tend to put off the praising of God until the afterlife, Sunday mornings and then the afterlife. We'll have plenty of time in eternity to do it, so long as we get things right here so we can go to eternity. Uh, But the psalmists seem to see that a little bit differently, and and we'll explore not, not a whole lot today, but maybe in future classes about... Uh, the Hebrews uh, 
perception of, of God and the afterlife and kind of what that meant to them and how that framed their writing of this poetry. Um, now, elsewhere in the Bible, Old and New Testament, it seems that God is speaking to us. But Psalms, on the other hand, is, is more mankind speaking to God. And if you're like me, uh, you often don't know the first place to start when you're about to talk to God, other than thank you for the nice weather and for this meal, and then it kind of stops. And I saw this quote the, the other day from a uh, noted theologian named Herbie Hancock. He's a jazz pianist. Um, if it's devoid of the heart, it doesn't mean anything. And he, he was talking about playing music, uh, but... You know, the Psalms is a book of music, and it can be said here that if, if our worship is devoid of heart, then it doesn't mean anything. Now, there is something to be said to, to continuing to worship, and, and uh, even if you're not feeling it, but we'll, I'll touch on that in a few weeks. Now, the Psalms seems to give us permission to be real with God, which I really like. Um, I, I think we have a hard time reading it sometimes because the psalmist can be very direct and almost seem angry with God. Um, but I think it's, it's, uh, it's a chance for us to, to look at the, the entire range of emotion when it comes to how we talk to God. And, I, I, uh, and it gives us kind of a script. You know, if we're having a hard time in life, depending on our season in life or uh, whatever's going on, a different psalm is, is a different script for that time, and it gives us a way to express ourselves in words that we might not come up with on our own. And I find, personally, I find that helpful. Um, and, you know, now that I'm a dad, there's, there's something that's, uh, you know, the, the things your kids say to you, like, Dad, um, how could you do this to me? Or I hate you because they learned the word hate the other day. Uh, even when they say that, it doesn't change the love equation whatsoever, right? And in a more extreme example, we're talking about Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It hasn't changed the love equation at all. It's, it's still, the, the answer is always the same. It's because I love you. Um, so I, I hope the Psalms will help us see that, that we can be real with God. We can say things to him that we might regret later and that he'll still love us. Um, all right, so we'll dig into a few. I need to put a clock up here because... Usually I could judge the, the toddler's re- restlessness by how fast we needed to move on to trains and Cheerios. Uh, but we do have a few that I want to read today just kind of a, as an intro. Uh, we're, with this setting, it's difficult to have uh, dialogue, um, but feel free to at any time. Raise your hand. I'm not good at, at seeing this, so just raise your hand up high if you have anything to add. Um, and we do have a microphone um, passing around, but uh, if you think of anything, just stop me. Uh, does everyone have a copy printed out? You may have to share. Did everyone coming in later get a copy? There's three psalms. Okay. No one's raising their hand, so I assume that means you all got it. Thank you, Seth. So a little bit more about the format. We'll read very few psalms in this class. I've already mentioned that. I, I'm hoping for one to four each class, and the idea is to kind of uh, ruminate, spend some time on them together, and I'm, I'm trying not to jump around to too many commentaries, get a whole lot of other opinions. I'll stick mostly with altars, which is just one man's. Um, but I want to present different translations as well. So today you have printouts of both Robert Alters contrasted with the ESV. 
Uh, I'll probably throw in like the voice every now and then, or uh, I don't know, when I look at my phone, I get overwhelmed by all the number of translations I have, like 50 on an app or something. Uh, but when you're reading poetry, uh, it, it's nice to, especially poetry that was written in another language, like Hebrew, that is nothing like our language, it's helpful to see how other people have interpreted it. Uh, the, the pieces, the words they used to try, kind of try to draw out the original emotion. And sometimes it just works better one way or the other. Um, you know, the voice, if you're familiar with it, is, is trying to put more of the poetry back into the Bible. But they can get a little wordy sometimes, especially the Psalms. And you have a Psalm that, you know, is 50 words and then they turn it into 150. Uh, and sometimes it adds to it. And so we'll look at some of those. And then Alter, on the other hand, is trying to, in some instances, trying to mimic the number of he- words that were in Hebrew. So then the Psalms seem a little compact and don't always make a whole lot of sense to us. Um, but if you're interested in uh, not just reading the Psalms during the, uh, during the re- reading schedule, two per day, uh, pick up a commentary. It certainly helps. Um, I don't really care which one. It's just nice to have someone tell you that there's Hebrew words that mean something else that have been translated in a certain way here. All right, so one to four per class. Uh, I want to read the Psalms in their entirety. I want to avoid picking out the parts we like. Uh, what I found was there's a lot of Psalms where I'm familiar with like one verse in there, and it's usually the really positive one. And then the rest of the psalm has kind of this contrast to it that we, we don't always address. So I want to try to do that. So we'll read them in the entirety while we're in class. Uh, we're not going to necessarily read front to back. Uh, the book of Psalms is a compilation of songs. It's just like our songbook. Um, and it's purposely organized into about five different books. And you can read a lot about that and into it. But there's also types of psalms. Lament, thanksgiving, wisdom. Um, So what I'm going to do for the next two classes after this is pick out types. Uh, So we'll focus on lament next week and then thanksgiving the week after that. And that will require that we jump around uh, to find some of those. Um, Now, I don't want to be taking verses out of context, but, you know, I think it makes sense to take psalms out of context. They're they're all kind of standalone items within the book of Psalms. It's like our songbook, you know, we don't sing starting January 1 with song 1 and get through the whole songbook in, in the year. So I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense for us to do that with Psalms either. Um, Alright, so I've made a few translations available and since the original was not in English, it was Hebrew and likely Oral tradition before it was written down and compiled, uh, but we'll talk more on history in future weeks. So you've got three psalms today, ESV and Robert Alter. Um, feel free to follow along with your own translation on your phone or your, your hard copy Bible, um, but I think it'll be nice to read these as a group and then contrast it with your own uh, outside of here and see what, el- what other things stick out to you. Okay. Um. Okay. So the first one, I'll read. I'll read the first one, and this is uh, generally considered what's called a wisdom psalm. 
and we'll explore that category more in future weeks. Um, but let's read, let's read uh, the one from Alter, the translation from Alter. Uh, and, and the reason I wanted to start with Psalm 1 is it's actually put at the beginning of the song, psalm book on purpose. It is intended, it's not the first psalm written, right? But it's intended to be an intro to the book. It's kind of telling you what the purpose of the psalms is, what our role is as people, <clears throat> and kind of the responsibil- our responsibilities and the consequences of our responsibilities, all in a very concise um, poem. <clears throat> All right, so again, the Robert Alter translation, you have the printout. Happy the man who has not walked in the wicked's counsel, nor in the way of offenders has stood, nor in the session of scoffers has sat. But the Lord's teaching is his desire, and his teaching he murmurs day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. Not so the wicked... But like shaft that the wind drives away, therefore the wicked will not stand up in judgment, nor offenders in the band of the righteous. For the Lord embraces the way of the righteous, and the way of the wicked is lost. Uh, so, how many of you have read that psalm like a dozen times when you're trying to get through the book, and that may be the first one you read? I've seen these words many times, um, but I've never thought about them. Other than maybe happy is the man, and then at the end, the way of the wicked is lost. <clears throat> so I wanted to kind of break this down, and, and since I'm mainly working off of Robert Alter's commentary, a lot of the, these comments are his. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I can't read Hebrew, and I'm not even going to try to avoid using too many Hebrew words, because uh, then I'm just repeating what someone else said. So some of the things here, and, and the reason I'm po- calling these things out today is um, to kind of give you a a primer on how to read the Psalms. So when you see some of these elements, you'll be able to kind of stop and think about them. So the first one, let's look at verse 1. What's here is common in in a lot of Psalms, and it's kind of this um, progressive narrative, progressive imagery. Um, So we've got the man who walked and then stood and then stand, uh, sat, right? So that's, that's the imagery we've got. And then we've got in verse 3, uh, the other man shall stand, shall be like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. So we've got these three images that we can kind of contrast with each other, and they're, they're all progressive. So the first one, you can contrast walked with planted, and the way I was thinking about this was, you know, when, when you're, you're walking, the image is, you kind of flip it, flip it, you're always moving about from place to place, uh, discontent and seeking maybe, compared to, contrasted with this tree that is fixed firm with ready sustenance, right? Uh, this isn't uh, Fort Collins where we've all got irrigation, we can all plant our trees away from rivers. This is the Middle East, right, where you're probably only going to find really strong trees by bodies of water. So this tree has been planted by a stream of water. It's got all it needs right there. It's not seeking. So that's the contrast with being uh, walking. The next one, uh, stood versus uh, bears fruit. I saw that as, as a comparison of being idle versus being productive. So you've moved from walking with the wicked to now you're just standing with the offenders 
Um, you're not really accomplishing anything. You're just kind of hanging out. And then you've got this tree that's bearing its fruit in its season. Now, this may be a stretch to draw these contrasts, but uh, when you're reading the Psalms, look for these types of things. And then the next one, uh, sat versus never wither. Uh, when sitting in the council of the wicked, you've essentially joined them, uh, and you're just kind of decaying, right? You're, not, you're no longer trying to get out of that uh, environment. You're, you've become content, and you're withering if we're contrasting it with the leaf that does not wither. Uh, another thing about verse 1, that walked, stood, sat, um, it, it's kind of that, uh, you, you can definitely see that when you, if you f- fall in with the unrighteous, if we're calling them that. It never starts out with you walking into their council room and sitting down with them as an equal, right? It's always kind of a slow progression. Uh, so this is saying, happy is the man who has not walked in the wicked's council, nor in the way of the offenders has stood, nor in the session of scoffers has sat. So verse 1 through 3 really shows us what happens to the righteous, right? He'll be happy. He'll murmur the teaching uh, of the Lord day and night. He'll be strong, and in all that he does, he'll prosper. And then we have uh, 4 and 5, which is telling us what happens to the wicked. They will be like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, chaff is uh, cut hay, Right? It, it's just laying on the ground. It can be blown away. So that's the image there contrasted with a tree that is actively rooted and growing. A shaft is nothing but uh, broken straw. Uh, it, is not going to, it is not rooted anywhere. It is not going to produce anything. And it is in a constant state of withering or decay. Um, all right, and then <coughs> verse 5 Uh, The thing I wanted to pull out here was that last half, um, nor offenders in the band of the righteous. So it says, you know, not only will the wicked themselves not stand up in judgment, but if you associate with them, it's almost like you're guilty by association. Um, and, And so I saw in this psalm that you can be guilty by association, but you're also not, um, um, justified by association. If you're wicked, being associated with the righteous nor offenders in the band of the righteous. So if you are constantly surrounding yourselves with, with good people, but you yourself are not, that association doesn't really help you in the eyes of the Lord, is kind of how this is written. Uh, verse 6 closes out with kind of the consequence of all this. Uh, if you are righteous, the Lord embraces, embraces you. And then contrasting that with the wicked, whose way is lost. I want to look at that in a few weeks. I need to do some more digging myself, but there seems to be a lot of instances where they, the, the ultimate penalty is not hellfire and brimstone, but simply oblivion. And that's kind of what this is saying, that the way of the wicked, the wicked are just lost to oblivion. They're absent from God, uh, and for the righteous, the Lord embraces them. Uh, so a few takeaways from this one. Um, other than all the theology, but as you're reading these, you know, look for those progressive narratives. Look for those images that might be moving the story somewhere, uh, instead of just blowing over them and, and thinking that they're taking some poetic license and using three different adjectives. Think about why they're using those.
And then also those contrasts. You'll see a lot of this, especially when we dig into the Psalms that you might be familiar with a line of it. Um, you might have never seen the contrast of that particular verse. So look for that. Sometimes it's right in the same verse. Other times it's the second half. So a lot of times there's these individual contrasts and then much larger contrasts from beginning to end. And then it kind of wraps up again. Anything th- anyone wants to mention about this first one? We've, we've got... Yes. There's great value to that because if you memorize it, then you can meditate on it day and night if you want to, but at least it will come up. When I think about that, he doesn't. Yeah, the, the value of memorization. Um, there's, a, I, I'm awful at memorization, but you're right. When when you can call upon uh, a verse or an entire psalm at an applicable moment, it can be a source of strength for sure. Um, yeah, I like that. Thank you. Anyone else? Seth. Great observation. This this first one is really trying to center us and tell us the purpose of this. Uh, not only the purpose of the Psalms, but the purpose of our life to some extent. Yeah. yeah I, I think so. 
sometimes when we read anything in the Bible, we want to self-identify with the good people and the heroes and say that we've never been victor. Clearly, you know, whenever the Pharisees were always Jesus, we're, uh, you know, we're always David and not his cowardly uh, brothers. You know. we're, we're only David at certain times of his life. Which one are you in the story? Uh, and when you see a play, it, it's easy to do. It's harder to do in, in written words, but it's easy to, to relate. Ariel? I worked with a guy from Louisiana, and there are two things I remember him for. One, he put Thousand Island dressing on pizza, and I, I didn't understand that. And, and the other was, he said, you dance with the devil, the devil's going to change you, right? And, and you do have to be careful of the situations you put yourself in, because you find yourself progressing. And David, David pulled out a, a contrast I hadn't, or another progression here that I hadn't seen before was that Wicked's versus offenders, versus scoffers. And, you know, possibly the wicked being the ones wicked at heart who may not be acting on it, versus the offenders actively doing something, and then the scoffers who are there being the extremely vocal, angry minority. Um, Yeah, that's another progress. Yeah.
it's, uh, it can be kind of startling sometimes when I listen to myself speak and realize that I'm not always just saying my own words, that I'm influenced by other people's opinions, right? And this class is an example of that, right? I'm reading Robert Alter's commentary. I don't have 20 different commentaries I'm balancing and trying to come up with my own opinion. Um, I'm reflecting a lot of what he says, and, and not only there's good uh, opinions to repeat and others not so good. And it's the ones you spend the most time with that you tend to speak as your own. Awesome. Um, let's go. We've, let's go on to the next one. Is Dave back there? Is he hiding out? No. Could someone turn on? Oh, there. Could you turn on the mic? It's on. All right. Becky, would you mind? Uh, we're going to read uh, eight. This time the uh, ESV. Psalm eight. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings And crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Thanks. Okay, um, if you notice on the other side, Robert Alters, um, translations can't even agree on numbering. That's not a typo. Um, for Robert Alter, this whole psalm starts on number two. Psalm one is just saying this is a psalm of David and what instrument it should be played on. Um, and I'm already breaking my own rule of reading psalms in their entirety. Sorry about that. Um, but the, see, in the ESV, it's one through nine, and Robert Alters, it's two through ten. So uh, I'll make sure I call out which one I'm referencing. Um, But I wanted to pull this one out because of that first verse. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Um, From where? (laughs) The hymn? Yeah, it's a modern day worship song uh, that not only did they base it off a psalm, they based it off of half of a verse of a psalm and turned it into a two and a half minute song. And that's like the entirety of it. So for me, when I first read this, that song pops in my head, and while I'm reading the rest of the words, that's playing on repeat, and I can't really disrupt that, and I kind of miss the rest of the psalm. Um, If that happens to you when you're reading, try another translation. If you just get that song stuck on repeat, and you're missing the rest of this, and you get to, uh, on the ESV, what is verse 2, is another instance of of this, right? Out of the mouth of babies and infants... And we have a common phrase, out of the mouths of babes, which we seem to attribute to when a kid says something profound. But what, what does the rest of that verse say? Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. I have no idea what that means. And any commentary I've read doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. It's kind of stretching. Um, there's plenty of ideas, uh, but even... Uh, but we just kind of skim over that because we're still thinking about, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
All right, but not really important on, on the numbering thing, but just something to note in case you find yourself in a debate about verse 2 slash verse 3 and you're arguing with your friend, verse 2 doesn't make any sense. And they're saying it makes perfect sense. It just says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So bring out the words that you're arguing about too. Um, all right, so since we got past that, let's look at the rest of it. Um, 3 through 9 in the ESV. This is uh, another progression, but this is a different type of one. Uh, This is kind of a hierarchical progression. So we've got this imagery of where man is in relation to God and all of his creation. Uh, So it kind of paints a picture for us, gives gives us an imagery. Um, It's not new to us by any means. Uh, But what I really, I like that what Alter did is he put it in quotes. You notice that uh, for him on verse 5, well, let's start at verse 4. When I see your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, you fixed firm. So here we have the psalmist observing nature. And then 5 through 9 is a quote, and you'll notice it's not a quote in other translations. Uh, some it is. Um, but this is his response. And I think it's, it's kind of a training for us. It's like, all right, when, when you observe this, when you're out camping and you see the majesty of God's creation, here's a script for you. Here's something to say instead of, man, cool stars. Um, You have the psalmist doing some reflection. What is man that you should note him and the human creature that you pay him heed? Already placing, recognizing that God is far greater than himself, far greater than any man is. Uh, Yet, God has made man little less than heavenly beings or gods, depending on the translation, and not only do you make him greater than uh, the rest of creation, you crown him with glory and grandeur. Um, another common thing throughout the Psalms is that repeat. So at the end of this one, we've got a verbatim repeat closing out. So it's kind of sandwiched the song. It's almost like chorus, verse, 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 chorus. Um, that happens a lot in the Psalms. Uh, it's not always. This is one of the rare instances where it's verbatim. But it's uh, just kind of a nice, tidy wrap-up to it. So for this one, a couple takeaways. Look for hierarchical progressions as well. And quotes. Um, we'll see another quote in the next one. Um, but when you, when you see those quotes, ask, who's talking and who's listening? Um, that helps with, when, with not pulling things out of context. Uh, and we'll see that in the next one. Um, but in this case, this, this response, this five through nine, it's, you got to be careful of taking it for um, you know, historical accuracy or anything. It's a summary of the creation story, but it's poetry still. Read it in context. All right, uh, any observations? Oh, we're running over time. I guess we lost the room. So great discussion on the first one. I wish we could do that again on this one and 11. Um, but one other thing about 11, I'll let you read it on your own, but this is another instance of a quote. This time you kind of have his friends or acquaintances, kind of like Job's friends or acquaintances, telling him uh, why they, that he shouldn't rely on God, and then his response about why he does. Um, so spend some time on that one. And then also, I want to look at historical references, and there will be plenty of time for that in next classes. Uh, and Brad will be able, to do, be able to do a much better job than me. But this is one that references Sodom and Gomorrah. So when you're calling down fire raining on the wicked, it's kind of 
trying to take you back to that historical reference that would mean something to the Hebrews. All right. Well, sorry there's no more time for any more comments. We'll have more time next week. All right. Thank you.